You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is the podcast where I interview authors of thrillers, mysteries, and suspense novels. This is episode number 44, and I'm going to be interviewing international best-selling author Tim Tigner. Tim has a fascinating background. He was in Soviet counterintelligence during the Cold War days. He was in the U.S. Army. He was in the Special Forces of Green Beret. And so he's got, got a great background, and he writes uh, awesome thrillers now. So we're going to talk about his background and his books. But before I get to the interview, just a quick reminder to please uh, visit our sponsor. It's Audible. Uh, they have great uh, thriller audiobooks, uh, including Tim's books. Uh, Tim's uh, books are available on Audible. And we talk about we talk about this during the interview. His narrator is Dick Hill, who's uh, an awesome narrator. He narrates uh, Lee Child's, uh, Jack Reacher's books, uh, like One Shot. He won an Audi for that. He's, he's uh, an award-winning narrator. And so he uh, narrates uh, Tim's uh, books. And so they're a lot of fun. So uh, check that out over at audibletrial.com forward slash MTTA. It's a great way to uh, pick up a thrilling audiobook and support the podcast. All right, here is episode number 44 with Tim Tigner. How are you doing, Tim? Hey, I'm doing doing great. A bit of a chest cold, so if I sound froggy, I apologize to your listeners, but uh, I'm thrilled to be on the podcast. I'm, I'm a longtime fan. That's awesome to hear. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And I must say, you have the, the most interesting background, I think, of all of the guests that I've had, but uh, please tell us a little bit about oh, wow. yourself. Thank you. I'm neither a, a writer by uh, nature or training. I would say this is actually my third career. I served in the uh, Army Special Forces doing Soviet counterintelligence back during the Cold War. It was uh, when I learned Russian so you didn't have to, was the way we put it. And then I put in about 20 years doing uh, medical device work, about 10 of that overseas, much of it in Moscow, a few years in Brussels. And then uh, back here in Silicon Valley, where I was leading startups. I'm a sales, marketing, and finance guy. So the writing is really all <laughs> comes from love and, and self-training. Uh, I like to think it helps with the plots anyway. Can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, about your books? Yeah, sure. My pleasure. So I, I do fast-paced thrillers. Kind of tagline is devious devices, international intrigue, and the deadly mistake of messing with the wrong guy. My first three novels are standalones, and then my last two plus a novella have been part of a series, which I intend to continue kind of ad infinitum. They're, they're all pretty similar. Sales are actually all pretty similar between the books. For all of my novels, kind of my thing is I, I come up with a unique device kind of of my own invention. Usually this is either something military or medical in nature something that has the ability to alter the world. And then I put it in the worst hands that I can think of, somebody using it to gain power of some sort. And then I uh, tell, the, tell the story going back and forth between their point of view or their underlings' point of view and the point of view of their victims, uh, one of whom is, of course, the hero. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I start each book out is thinking up the... Uh, the the cool device that could very well be there or is there or is on the brink of being there but actually isn't that allows me to create what i uh, what i hope are quite original plots is the kyle achilles that's your current series now right that's the one that uh, you're writing now yes it is uh-huh. what's uh, kyle's uh, backstory i was kind of going for the uh 
Mitch Rapp, uh, Jack Reacher cross, and that kind of as uh, targeting an audience, something you always want to want to think in mind. But I spent a lot of time thinking about who I wanted him to be and so forth, and then I made him, I guess, a little bit like myself, and that he had a bit of a of a diverse background. So he was a uh, an Olympic biathlete uh, was kind of his background, which gave him shooting skills and uh, skiing skills and endurance and so forth. Then an injury took him out of that. And as a native Coloradan, he switched over to the next sport that kind of kept his fancy, which was uh, which was climbing. And so he's a, an active free solo climber. So he kind of brings these unique skills to the to the scene, which I'm, I'm enjoying putting into things and uh, exploring myself. I, I am finding that uh, it is a lot more difficult uh, writing a series from a plotting perspective than it was writing my standalones because coming up with plausible ways to put the same person in, in really interesting circumstances without doing using cliche methods is uh is a bit difficult but but so far yeah so far so good we'll see but that that's one of the reasons that my first novels uh, were standalones even though i would have liked to put them into into a series and how many uh, books do you have now in your in your series i'm working on the the third for full book there's two there's two novels and a novella that are out there right now and then your other your standalones there were also uh, thrillers as uh, I saw one uh, coercion uh, about the Soviet during the during the Cold War time. Yeah, that was that was my first book and the one I thought about the most. I, I spent seven years over in Moscow during Perestroika, and you know when you when you get when you live places, right? You tend to learn and empathize with the people and see what's going on. And, and Russia, or I should say, Russians were very much victims of, uh, of just a bad government. Very smart people with you know, tough situations thrown at them from above, right? Very famous, you know, Stalin, Lenin, <laughs> now Putin di- dictators. Anyway, my the question I put to myself as a business executive, at the time I was running Johnson & Johnson in Russia and was chairman of the International Pharmaceutical Association, was, you know, what could one man have done to have saved Russia if he'd been, you know, prescient and powerful and persistent enough? And so that was the question I put to myself. Coercion was the book that came out of that. It's basically one man trying to turn around a country, but the triggers that he employs to increase his power become a slippery slope. And so it's kind of his decline and then the rise of a hero and, and so forth. So. The, so the challenges that you find between the standalone and the, and the series is, is the continuation is because you're writing in the same universe. Uh, do you find that uh, challenging also, like uh, re- keeping track of the characters and everything since so it's the same series? No, I, I, I don't have too many characters built up at this point. I mean, there's half a dozen, so keeping track of them is not too tough. It's really trying to go for fresh plots that are driven by these devices. So what I what I don't try to do is just have there's a lot of, you know, good books out there just not my style that are somebody's blowing up New York with a nuke mm-hmm. or, you know, someone's killing the president or somebody's dead and a race to solve those and and that's great. That's just kind of not my niche, right? My niche is I try to in, engage 
people a little bit more in a, a what if somebody did this, right? Kind of like, uh, <laughs> it's not a good comparison, but, you know, Bin Laden kind of changed thinking when he was like, well, what if somebody turned airplanes into missiles, right? You know, pretty easy to do. Nobody had done it. And man, the guy changed the world. And I, I, I try to take a similar approach in, in plotting my books. Uh, what if somebody did X? And uh, do you start writing thrillers because were you a fan of, of uh, as a reader, were you a fan of the thrillers before you started writing these? Yeah, I was a huge fan. I had a very successful traditional business career, but relatively early on, I, I realized I wasn't enjoying it as much as I wanted to. And I started asking myself about, you know, what would you eventually like to do if not this? And the thing that I loved most in the world uh, was time with a good book. And so that really got me into it. Uh, it at the time, I was living in, in Germany when I first started thinking about it. And so the, inter the books that had international acclaim really appealed to me. So it was Robert Ludlum and, and Ken Follett were the two, and Frederick Forsyth, I guess, were the three authors that, that I read the most. And those are probably the ones that have influenced me the most as a, as a writer. What do you use of when you're writing your books? I use Scrivener. I, I did the first three in Word and was told I should switch to Scrivener, which I dallied with a bit because it's difficult, but I've put in the effort and will never go back and hi highly recommend it. Also, I'm a very uh, active uh, plotter. I, I outline my books extensively ahead of time. Scrivener helps with that as well. Do you like create like two like one Scrivener document for your outline and then one to write, or do you or you, you stay in one project the, during your writing process? No, I stay in a single project. I just kind of I use the notes function to do a short summary of what's going to happen in each chapter, and then I jiggle them around. And of course, that changes while I actually write. And then I don't just write, I rewrite and I rewrite. I know some of your previous guests, you know, that they're managed to get through a book in, in two months and yeah. man, my, my hat off to them. I just, I, I can't do it that way. <laughs> I, I write and I rewrite and I, and I rewrite. I, I guess part of that may be that I, I'm just not as naturally talented as they are. Part of it is, I think, just uh, I, I really am huge on efficiency i can't read books that don't move quickly and don't surprise me and so i aim to pack both into my novels they they tend to have short chapters about 900 words you know three or four pages for you know 100 120 chapters in a book and each one of those ends with a, a, a twist or a, a hang or a, or a surprise of some sort. And you just, you can't do that without a lot of planning. Um, and so since that's what I like, that's what I do. And I just can't do it without, without a lot of preparation and rethinking and so forth. And what's, uh, what, what's your current uh, book right now? What are you working on? It's the, the third book in the Achilles series. It's called Falling Stars. And it, uh, yeah, it, as with all of them, it, revolves around a, a, a developing new technology, a, a quite a, a, a simple idea. I guess I don't mind sharing that since the book will be out before anyone else could write it to <laughs> give you an idea as to the way I think of these things. Cool. So we're all familiar with drones and where they're, where they're going these days, what, what's going on with them. It occurred to me that if somebody were 
picked up by a drone, right? Just a, which there are already drones that are big enough to carry people, mm-hmm. and hoisted up into the air, that that person would be entirely powerless, and there would be nothing that could be done to to save them. You can't shoot the drone down. You can't put a cushion under the drone, and so forth. And that lends itself to all kinds of possibilities. And that's kind of what I explore in in this novel. It's a guy that exploits <laughs> that opportunity. And when you get your idea, how long, how much research do you do you put in into it after before you start writing? So the out, my outlining process takes you know a month to two months probably. So I spend as long outlining as some guys spend writing, I guess. <laughs> and then as I write each chapter, which tends to be a, a scene, things will will change, and I'll find that I'll need to research, you know, more things. You know, what the inside of Putin's helicopter looks like, or what the current battery life of drones is, or or things like that. Fortunately, that's pretty easy these days with with Google and Quora and so forth. Uh, Lies of the Spies, uh, dealing with the the Russians, and it seems very timely to what's going on now, or the last couple of years with Russia. Is that something uh, that, that you're drawing from your experience when you were in, living in Russia? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, I mean, you like to write what you know. I'm fortunate that my knowledge base has come back into vogue. When I first started writing, so I left, I did what you're n- not supposed to do. I, I quit my day job to write full time, although not quite as rashly as one might. I, you know, fig- got myself in a position where I had five years of runway and savings and said, all right, this is going to give me enough time to write three books and we'll see if I make it or not. You know, those years were you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. The first book I wrote, Coercion, was very Russia centric. And it was good enough to uh, get me a good agent and get read by the good editors. It, it didn't eventually get picked up. I suspect part of that reason is because Russia wasn't in vogue at the time. It was, you know, the Middle East. Coercion did then eventually get picked up out of the slush pile, and that was help what helped bring me back into writing full time the second time around, which is what I'm now doing. But uh, I do continue to focus a lot on Russia, and it, it seems to be. Uh, like it's going to be the, the hot territory for <laughs> years to come at this point. Although I guess North Korea may be uh, in- inching in on it, so I might have to do some travel there. Coercion ended up in the slush pile? Because that was put up by Thomas and Mercer, right, which is Amazon's publisher? Yeah, so my, my first three novels, Coercion, Flash, or Coercion, Betrayal, and Flash, sat on my computer for about seven years. And... Um, well, I, I went back to work in Silicon Valley doing the startup thing. At one point, it was in late 2013, I was finally like, it's not, they're not doing any good there. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and self-publish, which back in the early 2000s was kind of the admission of defeat. You know, if you self-published, it was forget about it. But by that point, it was accepted enough. So I put them out on Amazon didn't really do much with them, but they picked up enough traction that, uh, yeah, I got the call that all writers <laughs> want, which is, hey, you know, we loved your book. We'd love to publish it kind of thing. So they uh, they took coercion in and, and republished it. And uh, that was going on around a time that um, my current startup was having issues. 
And so I, I kind of decided to uh, give full-time writing a second shot at that point. It was kind of like, here we go again, honey, you know. And uh, fortunately this time, second time was a charm. So. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, your books are doing phenomenally well. And uh, that was good timing then as well with the, with the other, the, the startup and, and everything. So, yeah, not too bad. Uh, like, two years earlier would have really been a hot spot. <laughs> yeah, 2010, 11, yeah. but end of, end of 13 was, I guess, better than it is now. And when I was reading about your background, I, I thought it was so cool. I saw that you 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 did one of those uh, my book in fifteen seconds for uh, for Amazon. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. How was what, uh, what was the experience on that? Wow. Well, it was really exciting to go down to to Hollywood and sit in the green room and do all this with you know a bunch of guys that I knew. They had they had us you know they gave us about. 20 questions ahead of time for things that they wanted to talk to us about and so forth. You know, and so I started thinking about all those. And uh, anyway, trying to shorten up the long story, I did terrible. I, uh, <laughs> I wish they never made made the video. I'll, I'll know better what to do next time I, I go into it, you know, be a bit, bit more relaxed and oh. so forth about it. Well, but I'd kind of tensed myself up so much that I kind of watched it once and we'll, we'll never look at it again <laughs> well it makes you feel better from from this side it, it looked great i was like oh this is so cool i did it so but yeah i'm sure you're self-conscious in your, yourself <laughs> uh, well i appreciate, but, appreciate your saying uh, that but no, i thought it was really cool pretty neat so i was in uh oh, in, in los angeles so that's interesting i thought maybe they would fly you to seattle or something but well, they, they they mix it in with other events, so they had a bunch of people down there. And it was fun getting the kind of the behind-the-scenes look at Hollywood. You know, you yeah. show up at one of these these stages, right, and we kind of have our picture in, a picture in our minds of what, what it's like working in L.A., and then you get down there, and you just see, you know, tons of people sitting around waiting for the thing to happen <laughs> because it's not their, their time kind of thing, and, you know, it's not nearly as glamorous, right? It's the sausage being made. <laughs> Kind of. Yeah, that's what I've heard right. before. People describe it that the busiest people in, in those Hollywood sets are the caterers because everyone's just waiting around eating. <laughs> yeah, that sounds accurate. <laughs> How about now? You're so you're busy with your with your series and all these things. Do you do you still find time to read? Do you, do you make it a point to, to try to read still? Oh yeah, I, all the time. Uh, I read with my ears mm-hmm. because that's something you can do. All, almost all the time that you're not actually working, right, in the car, in line, or whatever. So I've been a huge audiobook fan. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I've had no formal writing training. I was a philosophy and math major, and then I got my advanced degrees in finance and international studies. So <laughs> nowhere anywhere close. But um, I've kind of programmed myself to understand what sentences and paragraphs and so forth are supposed to sound like by just listening to audiobooks constantly over the last you know 15 years really many of them you know again and again and again as i train myself to write the way my favorite writers sound mm-hmm. I, I find that's a that's a great tool oh I, I do traditional kindle reading as well at night but uh the volume is much lower than what I get through with my ears. And I noticed that you, your books are also on audio, on uh, audiobook versions too. Uh, how was that the process? Was that exciting? Yeah, well, very much so. As, as I mentioned, I, I've been a huge audiobook fan for a long time. I, I, I did the audiobooks 
uh, a few years later than I did the, the my first books. Fortunately, I guess by that point, they had enough good reviews and traction out there that I, I was able to attract my kind of all-time favorite narrator, Dick Hill. Yeah, I noticed that. When I, 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 I'm familiar with Dick Hill because I'm a fan of audiobooks, too. I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was, you know, it's like getting, you know, Robert De Niro to do your movie kind of kind of thing. So, and now, you know, six books into it, you know, we're, we're good friends. It's, uh, it's really been one of the most gratifying parts of the writing job for me is to kind of get to mingle with a, a, a talent like that. And then, of course, to hear my own writing read back by the same voice that I listened, you know, to thousands and thousands of hours. Uh, it's, it's been a, a great honor and thrill for me. Are ebooks still more, more popular than the audiobooks or are you, are you seeing a lot of traction? So, yeah, yeah. So my audiobooks do do well. The, the review numbers are almost the same as on my regular books at this point. Wow. Although audiobooks tend to get reviewed at about ten times the rate of uh, of regular books, but I, I think it's an increasing trend. It is a very different setup for those of your listeners that aren't familiar with it. In that, w- when you self-publish a book, you can pretty much pick the price that you want to want to sell it at and how you want to promote it and so forth. With audiobooks, you kind of have two choices. You either do Audible exclusively or not, which means a 40% royalty or a 25% royalty. So, of course, you go, at least in my opinion, you go 40 <laughs> and, go, and go exclusive. So you're, you're, you know, you've written a book, you've done the artwork, you've paid to have it produced and recorded and all that. You give it to them and they still get 60%. And then you get no say over pricing or promotion or, or any of that stuff. But but fortunately, they're a, a well-oiled machine, so you're it's kind of plug and play in a way that self-publishing isn't, you know, because it requires kind of constant attention and stuff. So it's been a very good experience for me. Yeah, yeah, so that, yeah, that part does sound nice. So you kind of just you publish it and then you kind of let them run away with it, versus the ebooks you have to keep working on or the book the book part of the business that's an interesting way of looking at that yeah and so um, how's your when you're writing your books uh, when you get into the writing mode now do you write every day and do you have like a word uh, word count goal that, that you try to hit it's kind of curious about your process yeah so that moves around uh, a bit depending on things I I, I do like to work with uh, with a word count and the, the Scrivener has that you can set when you want to have the book done and how much that is per day and what days you want to write on. And they have the thermometer on the side of the screen that tells you how well you're doing. That worked great when I was doing previous books. Uh, lately, things have gotten a lot busier as my books have become more successful. And that's diverted a lot of my time to kind of fan mail and marketing and all those ancillary administrative activity so it's kind of screwed that up so that's a little bit depressing <laughs> when, I, when I do that but I, I do want to get get back to that uh, I, I think in any case a writer has to be disciplined I think setting you have to absolutely treat it like your job and 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 very much like you would any other job in order to crank it out if you want to make a living off of writing rather than a hobby uh, it does seem when I go to writing conferences that 95 out of 100 people, you know, would like it to be their job, but they're in actuality treating it very much like a like a hobby. But I think, like anything, if you get serious about it, 
you can make it work nowadays, given the, the flexibility that self-publishing has uh, given given us. Yeah, that's a common theme of most of uh, the people that I've interviewed that are, very, that are successful is they, they look at it, it's like a, it's a job. It's a fun job, but it's a job. <laughs> they, they accept have very strict hours and, and time in the chair. I'm just amazed uh, that Liza Spies, your blurbs, your, your book descriptions, uh, your hooks are so, are, are, are so well written. Do you come up with those, those yourself? Oh, well, well, thank you very much. Uh, I do. And that is, you know, a big part of it when I talk about, you know, the administrative activities is figuring that stuff out. It's a, you know, it's an iterative process, which is a nice, very nice thing about self-publishing. doesn't apply to audiobooks. You can't quite tweak those as much, but other things you can alter things all the time. I got a, I got a note from a lawyer two days ago pointing out a, a legal flaw in, in my book Flash, which, you know, it's I had a couple hundred thousand reads and no one's caught it yet, but it's actually a fairly fundamental flaw that I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I got to fix this now. <laughs> and, I, and I can do it with the self-published, you know, and, and the print-on-demand books. Um, the audiobook will stay the, stay the way it is, uh, and, and no biggie there. But the same thing applies very much, I think, to cover art and blurbs and descriptions and so forth, is that you need to be ready to kind of change those with what works and what doesn't and so forth. And it takes a lot, of, a lot of time. I'm not happy with one of my covers now, and I'm like, I got to go fix that. But I know once I start that process, it's just, <laughs> it's going to take dozens and dozens of hours. And I'm thinking, I got to get the next book out. You know, <laughs> it's such a such a balancing act every day. Yeah, that is tough. There's so much other stuff that to get easily distracted from the from the writing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and yeah, that's the one thing I noticed. I think that's um, I can't remember how I came across your first book, which uh, I'm uh, right now. I'm reading. Um, oh, let me look at my Kindle. Which one is it? It's the. Uh, uh, well, sorry, drawing a blank. It's not the Lies of Spies. That's good. I'm gonna read that. Pushing brilliance. Yes, that's the one. Yes, uh, I'm reading that one right now, which uh, which I'm enjoying a lot. Um, um, like you said, I love the way you you know you're, you're quick paced, but the, you you want to keep reading them. So that's. Uh, they're, they're a lot of fun fun to read, so FYI to the listeners. <laughs> but, oh, thanks. That is, that is a, actually a fascinating part, uh, you know, of the new self-publishing paradigm is that you can see, I know, hour to hour, how many pages of your book are, are being read, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, with, with, with traditional publishing, you know, you'd, you'd get the advance and you'd deliver and all that stuff. And then, you know, six months after a book is launched, you'd, you'd get a paycheck kind of telling you, you know, what wasn't returned from the bookstore type of things, you know. Whereas with Amazon, you know, I don't, it's not just how many books I've sold each day and where, but how many pages of my books have been read on, the, on their, their Kindle Unlimited. Uh, mm-hmm. This doesn't apply to regular ones, but it's kind of, it, it's a little bit, scary in in some ways because it makes you think as you're as you're writing oh my gosh you know this sentence is going to be read you know a million times (laughs) (laughs) i I better get it right it's uh it's it's pretty cool yeah well even the when i was reading uh uh, pushing brilliance uh, uh, i think it was the second chapter like the first paragraph has been highlighted like 132 times i was like wow 
So that's incredible to me that 132 people said, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to highlight this on my Kindle. Really? Yeah. I've been meaning to, to check that, but I don't get it because I have these. I have the old vision. I had to redo it because I love seeing that in other ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's great to know. Yeah, especially that, that, that many. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like four or five, which is still cool, but like that many, I was like, whoa. So yeah, and then uh, the covers, do you... Uh, uh, how how involved are you in the design of the covers? I, I, yeah, very intimately involved, for better or for worse. For for years, it was my own covers that were out there, and and those those did all right. I I, I come from a sales marketing background, so they were pretty good for a self published guy. But I I went pro, but I still kind of know what I want, and so I I do it myself. Uh, I mean, I don't do it myself, but I maintain a lot of control over what's going on they they go through dozens of iterations with me <laughs> and as i mentioned I, you know one of them i'm going to go back and you know even redo that after the dozens of iterations so a, a whole new start because a cover can make a, a huge difference so. yeah well yeah, i've noticed that from even some some uh, uh other authors are changing cover change covers several times i know like russell blake i interviewed him and he he's had like three or four covers per Per book, he just changes them every couple of years or something. So it's kind of fascinating how that how that works. Uh, keeping it fresh, keeping it fresh, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, so you're working now on the next uh, uh, Kyle Achilles. Uh, uh, when uh, when do you think that new the new one's coming out? Uh, yeah, it'll be around the start of the next school year. I'm afraid. Yeah. I was really hoping to get it done uh, before the summer. Uh, we're we're heading off to Australia for six weeks, but uh, it's just not going to happen. There's it's been uh, it's been a it's been a tougher slog than usual on this one for I guess because of all of this distraction of other things going on. You know, I, I, I sometimes think the smart move would be just to to go isolate myself in a cabin for two months and and get the book out and do the rest, but. I've got two young girls and a wonderful wife, so that's not really an option. Yeah, uh, Stephen King style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I don't, I don't want to end up that way, though, right? Yeah, I've been the shining, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. Uh, uh, Tim, can you, um, anything you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, well, I, so there's obviously a lot of different styles of writers and writing that are out there, and I think that's the, the fantastic thing about Amazon is that it or ebooks in general they allow you to get paired up with your audience, right? The people that you you like. So I would encourage writers to not follow whatever trend or what they think is best or what works for one or works for other. Write the book that you really like, and then figure out how to find that audience. Because nowadays, you know, with uh, a billion people that have access to books out there, you need a very, very small percent of them to actually make a living. The trick becomes finding them, and that's a whole other topic. But I think getting it right starts with writing what you love. So that's what I would encourage people to do. All right. That sounds like great advice. Thanks. Thank you so much, Tim, for being on the uh, podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Alan. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. I'd like to ask you to please review and rate this uh, podcast over on iTunes. It really helps me get the word out. If you take a few seconds of your time to uh, do that, it would be much appreciated. You can also visit my website at thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast for show notes on this episode, as well as information about the uh, podcast in general. And you can also sign up for my mailing list there. You'll be getting uh, special offers from our guests as well as information uh, behind the scenes information on the podcast and uh, please do visit my author website at alanpeterson.com i appreciate your support and so until next episode i will talk to you then